Now, I want to turn with you tonight to the New Testament Scriptures. We're turning to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Hebrews, chapter 1. And commencing to read at verse 1. Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1. The first four verses. And Hebrews, chapter 2. The first four verses. Hebrews chapter 1 in the New Testament Scriptures, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Verse 1, chapter 2. Therefore, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Amen. And I know that God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts this evening. My message tonight is a message on the speaking God and four things that I believe that God wants you to know, and through that medium of his speaking voice, that all of us tonight will hear his voice, and to say right now today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. And we don't only read that once in the Bible, we read it on at least four occasions, which of course infers that there is tremendous significance to hearing and responding to the voice of God as he speaks into our hearts. I have a book tonight laid here on this desk before me, this wonderful, matchless, amazing book called The Word of God. I've read through this book every year for many, many, many years, more nearly than I can remember. And I've become very acquainted with the men and those who were part and parcel of its tremendous canon. 
and the prophets, of course, and their message, and the words of the Lord Jesus, and what tremendous words they were. And God, it says here in his word, in sundry times and in diverse manners, God spake in times past. And of course, the whole of the Bible is a record of God's speaking voice and how we thank God for our Bibles. There are millions tonight who don't have a Bible. They don't have anything of the Word of God. Some have a small portion. But you and I are so privileged and so blessed to have this indestructible book, the book of God. And friends tonight, beloved people, we have a treasure that is more than gold and silver in this great book, the Bible. And so God spoke and spoke again and again. And right through the Old Testament, we read these words, the Lord spake, the Lord spake. The Lord spoke these words, and then the prophets came with their messages. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all the minor prophets, 12 of them. And they were God's voice boxes, speaking to the people of their day, bringing not their own messages, but bringing God's message to the nations. And God speaks, and God is still speaking, Because in this passage we read these words, He hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. And what a speaking Savior He was. Men said, never man spake like this man. When He came to the synagogue on the first day that He stood up to speak, All the eyes of the people were fastened upon Him. And they had never heard preaching, speaking with such authority, with such conviction, and so much so that even the man with the unclean spirit was moved to cry out. And in a moment of time, as the master spoke, the man was delivered from his demonic oppression and possession. And when the waves and the sea was boiling in Galilee, and if you've ever been there, you'll see it in your mind's eye. And we've been there and crossed over the Sea of Galilee never in a storm like the night when the little ship was like to be floundered in the sea and the disciples were crying out and saying, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And the Master is asleep and they shake him up and he stands and he says, Lie down. That's what the word means. It said, Be still. And the waves became a calm mill pond. The sea became a mill pond. But in the Greek, it's a commandment. It's an authoritative voice. Lie down. And they lay down. Oh, my dear people, the speaking Savior. But then he comes to the leper and he says, Wilt thou be made whole? Be clean. And you see, there's such an authority in Jesus that he can speak with tremendous power whenever it calls upon it, when there's forces of darkness and evil. But he speaks with such tender sweetness when it's someone who is in deep need, someone whose life has been shattered and scattered here and there. He comes in his tender sweetness. There is no voice, my dear people, like the voice of Jesus. 
Tender and sweet its chimes like musical ring of a flowing spring in the bright summer time. Jesus' love, precious love, boundless and pure and free. Oh, turn to that love-weary wandering soul. Jesus pleadeth with thee. When men were accusing the poor woman taken in adultery, He spoke to them all and he said, let him that is without sin first cast a stone. And they all began to disappear into the distance as he wrote in the sand. And he looked at the woman after they had gone and he says, neither do I condemn thee. Hath no man condemned thee? No, sir, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He knew all about her, but he touched her heart just where she needed touched. Am I speaking to someone like that just now? You say, oh, Pastor Eric, if you only knew my life, if you only knew the skeletons in the cupboards of my conscience, if you only knew the shattered, broken heart that I have, and the shards that devilry and Satan have left, I want to tell you tonight, Jesus said, I have come to heal the broken in heart. I've come to open the eyes of the blind. I have come to set the captives free. I have come to open the prison house to those that are bound. This is the speaking Savior. And he's still speaking. And the Holy Spirit, God's executive, who is here to make real in us everything that Jesus has purchased for us, speaking into our hearts this evening, drawing, moving, working. God speaks through His Word. God speaks through His Son. God speaks by His Spirit. But if I were to come outside the Bible, I could say to you tonight, God speaks through conscience. Charles Wesley put it in his hymn, My conscience felt and owned its guilt and plunged me in despair. My sins I saw, His blood had spilt and helped to nail him there? Oh, can it be that on a tree the Savior died for me? My soul is thrilled. My heart is filled to think he died for me. Have you felt that impress? Has it ever touched your heart that one so high as he should come for one so low as me? That he, the glory of all lands, should become the one shrouded in darkness and aloneness on Golgotha's hill, the loneliest moment in history, forsaken by God and man, 
so that you and I might come from the darkness of our moral pollution into the glorious light of Jesus and his great grace and salvation. Oh, wonderful salvation. Hallelujah. So I said to you, there are four things, and briefly and yet definitely, The first of all is this. God wants you to know that you have an immortal soul. There is no value that can ever be put on the real you. That which Jesus referred to as the soul. And he puts it in these words. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. There comes a time whenever all the pleasures and treasures and all the acclaim and all the fame and all the wealth turns to ashes. I grew up in the era when Cassius Clay appeared on the scene and then became Muhammad Ali, floating like a butterfly, stinging like a bee, rumble in the jungle and all those great heavyweight matches back in those days. But at the end of life, someone went to visit him and he took them into a barn and there were trophies and belts And they were covered in cobwebs and dust. And the person who had visited to report, he said to him, oh, look at all these great trophies. Muhammad Ali says, it's nothing. It's nothing. Kicked aside. I wonder tonight, are you still held by Ambitions, pleasures, treasures that you think you will gain by following the world. Earthly pleasures vainly call. And one day they will make themselves wings and fly away just like money as well. And everything that is outside of Jesus will be as nothing. Indeed, when was it the first queen of uh, Elizabeth I who looked as she was dying, and she said, a million of money for a moment of time. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Remember years ago in a children's day, service in a church, a little boy stood up to sing, I have a soul to be saved. Let this truth be engraved on my mind and my heart while I'm young. For I offer the cost if my soul should be lost and in hell if I die as I am. Die as I am, oh, die as I am, all hope gone forever if I die as I am. I never forgot the song. I don't know who the little boy was. But that song rings in my mind and memory. And God has put it on your mind now. 
And he's trying to instill into you that you are of tremendous value. You say, Eric, how can I ever estimate the value of my soul? I'll tell you one yardstick by how you can measure your value. I can tell you it is measured by the extent to which Jesus was willing to go to buy it back to himself. To leave the ivory palaces above into a world of woe, to come in infinite love and traverse earth's pathways and go to Calvary's hill outside Jerusalem's wall, 1976. I first went to Israel with a group of people and we eventually came from Galilee down to Jerusalem to spend the concluding days of the tour and one of the visiting places was to go to what is known as Gardens Calvary, just outside the north gate, the Damascus gate of Jerusalem. I see it all in my mind's eye and there I stood for the first time or in that area somewhere close by Jerusalem. And I thought, this is the place, this is the region, this is the area where the Son of God laid down His life for me. But I had been to Calvary before I ever got to Calvary and Jerusalem and Israel. I had been to Calvary, hallelujah, on the 3rd of March, 1962. I've been to Calvary. And there that night, that night, my precious soul was bought and paid for and I knew it. It was bought and paid for long ago, but I didn't know it. But I knew it from that moment. And I had entered in tonight. The Lord Jesus wants you to put your trust in Him and allow Him to bring you and your precious soul into the ark of His security. The second thing that God wants us all to know is this. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. No one was more specific than the Lord Jesus. When he was speaking on the Sermon on the Mount and he said, Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leadeth unto life eternal, and few there be that find it. Did you hear that? And few there be that find it. But wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. I wonder, did you notice that when I was quoting that, that Jesus said, Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life eternal, and few there be that find it. My dear people, we don't need to find the broad way. We're born in that condition. We are born estranged from God and only covered in our infancy and in our innocency by the covenant mercies of God. But on the age of accountability and adulthood like we are in this church tonight, then there needs to be a response to the obligation of the cross of Calvary 
and there's choice that needs to be made. But we have to find the narrow way. And the Lord Jesus has so demonstrated it on that high, glorious, yet deep, dark moment at Calvary's cross so that tonight the whole gospel of the Lord Jesus revolves around the centrality of the cross. It was Dr. Paul Rees who called it the radiant cross. And Sir John Bowering put it like this, in the cross of Christ I glory, towering over the wrecks of time. All the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. And that is God's heaven door. But the wide gate, the wide road, the broad road, There is a heaven to gain. And the Lord Jesus spoke also about a hell to shun. Why did he ever come if there was no such place? Why did he suffer as he did if there was no such dreadful end to a Christ rejecter's life? My dear people, There is no language, not English nor any other, that is adequate to describe the glories of heaven on one hand and the gloom of hell on the other. Language is bereft. It is bankrupt. Because heaven is beyond our wildest imaginations. And hell is beyond our deepest terrors. My thoughts, said the dying guilty man, my thoughts on awful subjects roll, damnation and the dead. What horror sees the guilty soul Upon the dying bed. I'm so glad this evening. That even though hell has enlarged itself. And opened its mouth without measure. There stands between me and that eternal pit. An old rugged cross. Filled with glory divine. And in it a wondrous attraction I see, for it was there on its side Jesus suffered and died to pardon a rebel like me. Would you gain heaven? All men would like to go to heaven who believe in eternal things. No one plans, not least from a congregation like you, to die without Jesus. 
but sometimes just when we plan to get ready, opportunities end and we die within a step of the kingdom. Jesus looked at a man and said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Are you near the kingdom? You're not in the kingdom. Only a step to Jesus. Why not take it now? Only a step to Jesus before his cross to bow. Only a step. Only a step. Come and your sin confessing. You will receive a blessing. Only a step to Jesus. Why not take it now? The dividing line of those two eternities is drawn by what you do with Jesus Christ. That's the issue. What shall I do with Jesus? Said Pontius Pilate. What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart may be asking, what shall he do with me? Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall, friendless, forsaken, betrayed by all, Hearken, what meaneth that sudden call? What shall I do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? The dividing line between an eternal heaven and an eternal hell is determined by what we do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes this evening in all his glorious splendor. He comes this evening in all his infinite compassion. He comes this evening with a heart that throbs with love. There is no throb nor throw that our hearts can know, but he feels it above. His heart throbs. It beats tonight for those who need to come to him. And my dear people this evening, Love is a compassionate river flowing down in crimson red. This, this was love. In truth, beyond degree, to hear the drip of noble blood and see that mangled form upon the tree and hear him say, 
this was for thee. Oh, my people this night, will you not plunge beneath the cleansing flood by faith? Will you not put your hand into the nail-pierced, scarred hands of Jesus and let the warmth and the power and the cleanness of Jesus flow through your conscience, through your mind, taking out all the filth, through your past, washing it away as if it had never been and giving you a new life as clean as the screen on the wall. Oh, my man, my woman, this and more is in the moment when you will put your hand into the hand of Jesus and say, you know, Eric, I've thought about this. And now I'm going to come. I remember one time in our missions, John Morrow and I were missioning together. There was a man came to a mission, three, four weeks, followed on to the next mission, two weeks more, maybe six, seven weeks. When I first met him, he was a total skeptic. I spent about seven hours at the home the first day I was there and the next time I went back on a Tuesday night after the meeting and was there to two o'clock in the morning and we built a friendship together as we talked about many things. He had fought a rear guard action at Dunkirk and he said, when you see what I saw, then he said, you wonder if there's a God at all. And so I was, a, a, I was addressing a man who was an utter skeptic. But there came a night in the little portable hall up in Corkley in South Armagh when that big man, a big man, caught a hold of me at the door with his big hands and he said, I'm going to do something about it tonight. And we went back into the hall and we pushed the forms back and he got down on his knees and he said, I've thought long enough about it. Now, I'm going to act on it. And there and then, he cried out to the Lord. You've thought about it. Is it not time to act? My man, is it not time to make it sure and make it good and do what your conscience is telling you to do? Do what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. Do what I'm exhorting you to do. To step out. To walk out from your sin, out of my bondage, sorrow and night. Jesus, I come into thy freedom, gladness and light. Jesus, I come to thee. My closing thought, and very briefly, is this. All heaven awaits your response. We cannot see the angels of God, but I have no doubt that they are lingering near 
they are sent forth, the Bible says, to be ministers to those who are the heirs of salvation. They are earnestly interested. The angels look into these things concerning the cross of Jesus. And I believe that they wait. And have no doubt that in their ineffable joy that they have in the glory, that joy is intensified. Because Jesus said, there is joy in the presence of the angels of glory over one sinner repented. More than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. You say, Eric, I'm not one. I will let the angels bear the tidings upward to the courts of heaven. I will give them the opportunity to sing with holy rapture over another soul forgiven. Yes. You can be that man. You can be that woman. Little boy, little girl, you can be that one tonight who if you've never trusted Jesus, you're not sure that you're saved. You can come to him just as you are. And you can come to him now. Heaven waits for your response. Satan is determined that you will not respond. But I am confident tonight that there is more power in the name of Jesus to help you to come than there is in the devil to keep you from coming. Amen. So let me invite you. Let me say, as Charles Wesley said often, and he finished his sermons and his messages like this, let me commend to you my Savior. I can do it with 100% confidence. You'll not find a flaw in him nor a fake in him, nor a failure in him. This can be the beginning of the rest of your life on earth and a brand new life on earth for the rest of your life and eternity. I mean that. I mean that. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we know this evening that words in themselves are weak vehicles. But we know, Lord, that the word cannot be expressed without words. Preaching is biblical the preaching of the cross. Yes, it is foolishness to those that perish. But to those who believe, it is the power of God. 
And by Father, I believe there's a man in this house. There is someone here who is listening. They are hearing, but they are doing more. They're listening. And tonight, Lord, we pray, give them the strength of their conviction to obey to heed the warning voice. Today, if ye will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Open your heart. Come as you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.